Good to see you all. Hey, nice to see you. I like seeing the smiling faces up in the non-Christian section. Glad you're with us. Hey, we know it's complicated in terms of masks, guidelines, all that kind of stuff. And so you'll hear some more information this week as we kind of help us navigate this together. But here's kind of the big idea. You're adults, so you can act like one and make decisions like an adult with Jesus living through them makes decisions, right? And so um, we uh, believe you're capable of making the best decisions for you and your family, and we want to help you do that. So let us know how we can help. Now, if you're brand new with us, so, 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 so glad you're either in the building or out in the parking lot. It's really, really glorious out there. Or right now joining us online from the comfort of your living room or office or wherever you are. We just want to tell you, thanks so much. We know there's a lot of things you could be doing right now with your time. And so the fact that you're willing to lean in and hang out with us means a lot to us. And we take that very serious, right? And so here's kind of the... Uh, the assumption that we're operating under. If you're here, right, either in person or online, if you're right now hearing my voice, the assumption is you probably are at least open to the idea that uh, there could be a God and that God could be interested in you, love you, have a plan for you, right? Just maybe you haven't made that declaration. Maybe you're still really uneasy about it, not real sure, don't want to put your hope in something that will fail you. We all have that experience, and I would just say, just glad you're here. We're operating under that assumption. And here's the good news about the assumption. There is a God, and he is really, really interested in you, and the way by which he showed his interest is he literally stepped out on this planet to show you how much he loved you. In fact, God himself, in the form of a man, Jesus called himself God and called himself the Son of Man, said that he came, and he came to die for us, and then not just die, but to invite us into the life that he had for us. Not somewhere way off in the future, but now. So the good news is there is a God. He really is interested in you, and he really has good plans for you. And those plans, those plans, they start today, which is so nice. So here's kind of the big idea that I want to share with you today, and I'll kind of uh, hit the rewind button and remind you where we've come from. The big idea, really, really simple is this. Today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, not next week, not next month, not 2022, not when all the mandates or guidelines drop off, none of those things. Today, 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 is the day that the kingdom of God is set to advance in and through you. Okay? So it's really, really interesting. We've been studying um, this book of the Bible called the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the, by gospel just means good news, but what it really is is just a biography. You've read biographies, and this guy named Luke, he writes a biography about this guy, Jesus, right? What's interesting, it's a biography, but it's kind of an autobiography because the Spirit really helped Luke write it, and so Luke is just kind of the, the mouthpiece for this. And what's really interesting is we don't know much about Luke's background in terms of his worldview. We don't know when he started writing this if he was a Christian, probably not. We don't know if he really believed Jesus was God. Probably not. But Luke was a doctor, you know, uh, who left his medical practice. True story. So, so crazy. To go and investigate whether or not we could trust the things that Jesus said and taught and did. And the reason he did this is there was this Roman official who liked his tribe, liked his identity, had a lot of affluence, a lot of influence. He certainly liked his comfort he certainly liked his security, but it came at a cost, and the cost was each and every day, maybe multiple times a day, he would have been making this declaration that was just untrue. He would literally call Caesar, because he was a Roman official probably, and this would have been a mandate. He would have called Caesar Lord. He would have declared that a human 
was divine, and he understood that Caesar was a broken, broken, narcissistic man. And so what Theophilus does, this is not folklore, myth, or legend, so beautiful. Theophilus, curious about this guy, hires this guy, because he's got money, and he pays Luke to go and investigate these claims. So we know it would have taken years, if not a decade, and so he hires Luke to go read all the written documents that were written from history, right? That would have been the Old Testament. That would have been the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, other biographies about Jesus' life. That would have been reading the deeds and the genealogies and all the, you know, all the different information about Greek culture and Hebrew culture. He would have gathered all that stuff. And he would have sat down with all the eyewitnesses, right? And so you can see Luke kind of like a, a defense attorney who would have gone and gathered the right witnesses, found the right evidence, and kind of put together a a statement. And this is the statement that he tells us in Luke chapter 1. Right after he greets Theophilus, he says, I write these things so that you can have certainty of the things that you've been taught. Right? And what he's talking about when he says the certainty of the things you've been taught, he's talking about the fact that this guy, Jesus, who said he was God, was murdered for it, by the way, and declared that the kingdom of heaven, so, so profound, was going to come and invade earth today, right? That was his statement all along as you and I and the people 2,000 years ago can actually get in on the kingdom of God now. And he says, this is how you do it. Really, really simple. Repent. Not in the way that you think about it with a bullhorn screaming from, you know, the side of a street telling you get your life in order or who God hates or any of those things. No, no, no. Repent literally means to change the way you think. Right? So repent. Let's change what we think. For the kingdom of God, as, as he said it, as the front runner for him, his cousin John the Baptist said, for the kingdom of God is so near. Right? Today, today is the day that you get to live in it. So Luke goes and captures this. And what's so neat is he writes 1,151 verses about Jesus. And because he's a good scholar, he actually writes 568 of those 1,151 verses as direct quotations from Jesus. So that's how many eyewitnesses he came and listened to. And so he writes down Jesus' words. He lets Jesus stand up and give his own defense, right? So Jesus is the one who comes and sits in the seat. And Luke goes, why don't you just share, right? He goes and captures these things. He didn't get to interact directly with Jesus, but he got to interact with his first century followers. And the thing that he wrote about, the thing that Jesus taught about was this. This is called the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, right? told you. It's about heaven invading earth. Now, so if you're going, gosh, something's just missing. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Why is there evil? Why is there bad? And why is there pain? Right? And every time you shed a tear, every time you feel in your gut that something's wrong, those nights when you just lay in bed and can't sleep and go, there's just something missing. All those things are all pointing to the thing that Jesus wrote about. You're right. It's not, there's not supposed to be evil. There's not supposed to be pain. And Jesus said that he came to usher in the kingdom of heaven for now and for all eternity. So in our little birth to death timeline, what do you get? 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 80 years, 120 years, right? There's a beginning and an end. And what's so profound is Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God, meaning in his eternal timeline, Jesus steps out of it and steps into our little bitty timeline to usher in the kingdom of heaven and to invite us back into his eternal one. That's not something that happens when you die. That's something you get to live in now. And so what Jesus taught, really, really simple, once you understand it, that the way by which you get to experience and participate, and as we're going to learn today, proclaim the good news and usher in the kingdom. There's kind of these four parts, right? The first part is this. First, you hear about it. So Jesus came to uh, share this news. John the Baptist came to point 
to Jesus to go prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him so everybody can know God's salvation. So you hear about it. And as you hear about it, and I just already told you this, then you think about it. Literally, you receive this and you start to consider maybe this is true, right? And that's when we start with the assumption, maybe you're open to God, right? So you get to consider that and wonder if there really is a God. Wonder if that's why you do feel sadness and pain and sorrow because there's something hardwired in you to go, there's a better way. There's a better life, right? And as you think about it and think about it and consider it, right? Then what starts to happen is you start to speak about it. What it says, in the God, it says in the book of Romans is the way by which we get into the kingdom of God is it says if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, meaning you heard that, you've heard it, and you start to think about it, and you believe in your heart, and then confess, speak it, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You will, I will be saved. You will, I will get to live in the kingdom of heaven. And so you hear about it, you think about it, you speak about it. And this doesn't make a lot of sense. But when you think about it, it does. As you speak it, you bring about it, right? You know this. Many of us are still wrestling with really hurtful, painful statements that your parents, your grandparents, your coach, your teacher said to you. Here we are 30, 40, 50, 60 years later trying to prove wrong those things because we just know that those those words right we say sticks and stones can break our bones but words can never hurt us that's a lie from the pit tail right and you know these things we start to declare the goodness of who god is and as that happens so so nuts as it happens what happens is it's brought about so what we've been doing is we've been opening the gospel of luke and reading a little bit each and every week of kind of identifying how these things get started right? If the kingdom of heaven is supposed to invade our earth right now, you and I would like that, I think, right? We go, there's something wrong. We'd like that. And so what, what we've kind of been looking at is, okay, how does how the kingdom advance in the first century? And what does that mean for us? And I've been sharing with you, I, there's a book by Steve Addison. He's what's called a missiologist. He's someone who studied mission. And he wrote a book called Movements. And then he kind of went back to the first century, kind of followed stuff like the Reformation, looked at what happened in Great Britain and the U.S., you know, three, four hundred years ago. And he kind of said, there's kind of five components to how these movements start, particularly how the kingdom of heaven can advance in life. And he said, here's, here's what they are. The first one is there's a white hot faith. There's this moment where finally it clicks and you go, Jesus is Lord, right? And there's a, you went from not believing it, it's literally binary. That you were a zero, 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 zero. And some moment it clicked and all of a sudden it turned to a one, right? That this moment in people's life. And so he said, it always starts with this real commitment this white hot faith and that's why we've been using this series this kind of analogy saying i'm in and kind of talking about a fire right how do you get a fire to really 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 burn bright right you get all the all the fuel all the all the stuff that has the capacity to burn white hot and you bring it all in together and the closer that gets together the hotter the fire burns and the way by which the fires burn out is you actually separate all those pieces. And so the idea of going, how do we finally lean in with this white hot faith? Not separate, which has happened over the last year, but lean fully in so we can have this white hot faith. The second one is committed to a cause, right? This idea that literally at some point we have to go, no matter what the cost, I'm going to believe this, as Jesus said, that I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. I'm going to deny myself, meaning I'm no longer going to let that narrative in my head say that God does not, not love me, that there is no hope for me. I'm going to finally destroy that narrative, right? And I'm going to lean in fully and experience the kingdom of God, right? So there's this commitment to a cause we saw in the third week. Christian taught us about the transfiguration, this moment where a few, Peter, James, and John, uh, they got to see Jesus in all of his vulnerable state. He finally exposed 
exactly who he was, and they saw him as God in the flesh, right? And this idea that somehow in this, what the church should be known for, what's so um, intriguing about the church, right? The reason that people are interested in it, even right now, is because they're lonely. They're in pain, and when they look at a group of people who love each other unconditionally, and they are intrigued by it. And this is why I tell you all the time, the reason that we have this disc golf course, and right now as I'm talking to you, there's, you know, a dozen or more people playing disc golf. And you're going, what does that have to do with the gospel? And here's the, here's the principle. People always return to the last place they felt love. What we know is there is pain and sorrow in our world, a lot of times by our own decisions, but many times it's also by other people's decisions. And we want to be a place of contagious relationships that welcomes any and all people. In their moment of pain, we want to love them well. And so people always return to the last place they felt loved. And we want this to be a place, you can see it throughout history, that when the church loved each other well, cared for each other, extended grace and mercy and kindness at all times, there's this movement that happens, so contagious relationships. And then last week, we saw this rapid mobilization, so, so profound that the way by which the gospel moves is not by some preacher on a stage or even a, a staff member coming up with some clever schemes or ideas or putting together some good systems. The reality is what Jesus came to do is usher in his kingdom and into his people, meaning this is so crazy and so hard to believe, and yet it's true, that, that Jesus actually came to live through us. So what we told you last week is the way that rapid mobilization and the movement happens is we start to live life like Jesus is actually living through us. You know why? Because he is. He is, which is so profound, right? Not that we get Jesus somewhere in the future, right? No, no, he gets to come in and we get to be kingdom bringers everywhere we go because Jesus is living through us. And then finally today, here's the last one. That whole idea is about adaptive methods, meaning they didn't hold tight to tradition. They didn't hold tight to certain plans and certain schedules. They basically said, Jesus, whatever you want us to do, wherever you call us, we will do it and we will lean in. And what's so interesting about these adaptive methods that we've seen throughout history is that uh, people throughout history were willing to be interrupted. They're willing to be spirit-led and they were willing to meet the needs that came up in the day at that moment, meaning that the whole idea of the way by which we participate in the kingdom has nothing to do with the future, right? This is one of the big lies for us. So you think, I think, that God's will has something to do with where you're going to be 10 years from now. God's will has nothing to do with the future and everything to do with the present. Meaning, if you just take the next right steps today, you'll be where God wants you to be a decade from now, but today is the day that you get to live in it, that you get to respond to the kingdom. But there's some issues that keep us from doing that, and we're going to see all those issues today and decide whether or not we're ready to slay those idols, those false senses of security, right? Controls and illusions. So we get to look at that today. Very, very, very excited about this. And so where we're going to be is Gospel of Luke told you that, and we're going to be in chapter 9. We're just reading verse by verse. We've been doing it 45 weeks, right? So verse by verse, this is just the very next verse. And so let me just uh, read to you uh, what's happening. So last week we saw this... Um, this demonic evil spirit come and invade a child and Jesus points, rebukes and declares himself as king and lord and says the way by which you get in the kingdom is you act like a child, you serve like a child, you trust me like a child trusts his father and mother and so lean in all the way in fully and so this is just the very next verse. Jesus is now going to move to a new direction and you get to see it. So Luke 9 verse 51 here's what it says. When the days drew near for him to be taken up. He set his face to go to 
Jerusalem. So, really, really important. This is a big moment. Like, if you're reading through the Gospel of Luke, it'd be easy to just kind of skip over that. But this is a scene change, right? This is where the dramatic music would start to play in the movie. This is where you see the montage, like Rocky's training, going to run up the steps, right? This is that moment. This is, and you look at the Gospel of Luke, this is where the climax is about to happen. This is where the plot thickens. Doesn't seem like it because it's one little verse, but it says, when the days drew near for him, here's what that's saying, that when, it was, when he was getting ready to go and declare himself as God, to be brutally punished for that declaration, and then come back to life to prove that he was God and show us how we get in on resurrection life, right? Same power that Jesus used to conquer the grave that was ushered into us. So when that's about to start, it says when the days drew near. So uh, what we've seen is for now, about 18 months, Jesus was spending with his disciples, inviting them in, and then he starts to train them. And he's had these, uh, these 12 disciples and now about 70, 70, 75 plus others, and then even more of an entourage. So there's like this, this group of people moving. If you've ever seen Forrest Gump, and you know when he's running and all those people start to follow him, that's kind of what this looks like. And so Jesus has been doing most of his work in this area up here. So you might not be able to see it too good in here, but I'll just describe to you what's going on. Got the Mediterranean Sea. And so if you can imagine, there's these different, uh, well, similar to states, uh, divisions of how the nation of Israel and the Roman Empire were kind of divided up. And you got this big one here. This is where the wealthy people are. This is where the rich people, this is where the big cities are. Judea. In Judea is, is the city of uh, Jerusalem, right, which you know, as we even still are aware has so much significance and so much going on. And so Jesus, ironically, even though this is where you would think the big movements are going to happen, he has spent very little time here. In fact, he's spinning up here in this region. He's kind of hopped into the Sea of Galilee and popped over to the Decapolis and other regions. And, but where he spent most of his time is in this state, this region called Galilee. Okay, that's where Jesus is from. That's where we believe 11 of his 12 disciples were from. Judas, we believe, and I'm pretty confident, was from Judea, right? And so Jesus has been spending this on towns, of, his time in towns of 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 50, right? 100 people. And it doesn't make sense you think about movements. You think he'd go make the big splash. He doesn't. It's just slow movement, right? I've told you. Even when it doesn't seem like Jesus is doing something big, he's always doing something big. And so the scripture says is now, he has now set his sights on Jerusalem. And so him and his entourage are about to start heading south to Jerusalem in preparation for what's going to happen for his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the transformation of the world. And so it says he sets his sights on Jerusalem. And watch this. And he sent messengers ahead of him. This is verse 52 who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Really, really interesting. And so this is very uncommon for the Jews. So it's going to take me a second to kind of help you understand this. So many of you are familiar with this. That, uh, so he's kind of left Galilee, and he's going to Jerusalem, right? And so it makes sense that he just goes straight south, right? You know, as the crow flies, that's what you do. You just go straight south, right? And so he's going to go through there. Now what it says is he sends some messengers ahead of him. This is really, really important because... Um, Jesus is traveling with his 12 apostles, right? And then he's got these 70 new people have started to follow along. So you got this, this kind of inner circle and then like a bigger inner circle, what we call a church and the church family, the membership. And then you have all these other people kind of on the, you know, outlier, outlying and going, hey, we're pretty interested in this. We're open to it. We're at least open to the idea that maybe he could be a great teacher. And so there's all these people following him. Probably 
80 to 100 people. Now, as you're going to these little towns, there are no hotels, right? There are not like Walmarts you can pull in and buy a bunch of food. So in order for these folks to be cared for, they would have had to send in messengers ahead of time to go, hey, I'm about to bring in 100 people, right? This is what we used to do when, we, when I was coaching large teams and participating. In it. We'd call the Wendy's or the McDonald's ahead of time and go, we're about to bring two charter buses around the draft, right? You just kind of prepare them. And so these messengers went to prepare them for what was about to be ushered in. Really, really neat, right? And so for 2,000 years, there's been messengers that have continued to show up, right? This is what happens right now. And go, hey, the kingdom of God is ready to advance. Let's get prepared for it, right? Because God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us. And so these messengers go ahead, but they go to this town called Samaria. Now, this, uh, you know, region, uh, state, in terms of how you would see it, right? And Jews never went here. In fact, you want to talk about racism and anger and vitriol. The Jews hated the Samaritans. And guess what? The Samaritans hated the Jews. You know anything like that? You see any of that stuff going around right now? Right? Same mess, same problems 2,000 years ago. And so what would have happened is all the Jews would have not even gone close there. If they would have walked through there, they'd have to like shake the dust off of them because they were dirty and broken. So they just kind of went along. A lot of times they'd go along the, the creek bed from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, but they would, uh, uh, down the Jordan River, but kind of on the side away from the Samaritans. Because Samaritans were Jews, kind of. They liked some of the Jewish rituals and orthodoxy because, you know, everybody likes a little bit of religion and a little bit of safety and security, but they didn't really like the whole thing. They thought some of it was weird. Like, you know, the rules that say never boil a, a baby goat in its mother's milk. I wouldn't do that, but that's one of the rules in the Old Testament. So the Samaritans, what they kind of did is they kind of did this Mr. Potato Head religion, right? So they go, we believe there's a God and he likes us, but we also really, really like some of the ways by which we enjoy you know, what they would have called heaven on earth. Pleasure. All sorts of pleasure. And usually the pleasure was at the expense of someone with less power or influence. Right? And so the Jews are really, really angry. One, because they would say they weren't honoring God. But the other reason is the Samaritans are having fun. Right? That's what's really interesting. We always think, don't do sin because it's not fun. And it's like, ah. Sometimes sin is fun. Right? And the Samaritans are really enjoying the fun of it. And so the Jews are like, they get to do the fun stuff. And there was such an argument because in Jerusalem, there's this big temple where they said God existed, right? And the Samaritans were like, we'll build our own temple. We'll say God exists there. So there was this, this argument between them always. So the Jews just had nothing to do with them. But Jesus, when he sets his eyes on Jerusalem, he decides to go straight through. So he sends them to prepare, and he's about to walk through Samaritan. He's about to bring these hundred people with him. And a lot of these folks had never been to Samaria before. They've heard the stories, and they want nothing to do with them. And so this is a big moment of discomfort and worry and fear. But if Jesus is going, and he could possibly be God, they're falling along. So verse 53, it says this. But the people did not receive him. People did not receive him. Because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And this is pretty easy to kind of go, what does that mean? I don't quite understand but it is really important that you understand this. So, the way by which it works, Jesus is making this thing, he, his travel, and he stops in Samaria. But that's not where he's going to end up. He's not going to end up in the Samaritan temple. He's not going to set up shop right outside of it and hang out there and teach the people there. He is on a mission. 
And his mission is to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so he's going, I'm, we're going to go through and we're going to talk. But this isn't the goal. And one of the things that we've got to see here, and this is going to be awkward for a second, but we've just got to talk about it honestly because it's in the scriptures. It's, so what we're seeing here is it says they did not receive him. Why? Because Jesus was interested in his mission, not theirs. Got it? And this is what you've got to see really, really important as we make decisions of do we want to live in the kingdom of God? This is for Christians or non-Christians. Do you really want Jesus to come and set up shop in your heart and your mind? Do you really want the kingdom of God to go in you and then through you, we have some decisions to make. And the first thing we're going to see, and we're going to see a lot of these, okay, is that Jesus is going to invite them in, right? He's going to come. He literally is going to go to them, right? He's entering their town. And they're going, oh, Jesus is here. His entourage is here. Wait. He's going to focus on something else. That's not what we want to focus on. And what you got to see here is if you want to live in the kingdom of God, you got to choose Jesus over, above, all. But some of the things that you got to choose Jesus over is your own tribe, in your own identity. You see, this is really, really, really important. Jesus didn't come to this planet to esteem you. He came here to save you. Right? So whatever those things are. And man, I see it. I see it in all sorts of categories. All sorts. So we can talk about um, political ideologies. Jesus is definitely a Republican. Right? Jesus is definitely a Democrat. Right? So Jesus, if we can bring Jesus into the conversation, and you've seen it on both sides, where people open up the scriptures and argue for something, they use the Bible and go, this is what Jesus wants. Right? This is one of the most terrible uh, issues that I saw in the late 90s, early 2000s, was those WWJD bracelets. Right? This, what would Jesus do? But you see what it does? It causes us to speculate. Right? Well, Jesus would do X or Y or Z. And so a lot of people bring Jesus into the conversation and go, here's what Jesus would do. What I would say is, what we should focus on is what Jesus actually did. In this moment, Jesus shows up and he is going, I got a mission and I'm going towards that mission. And the Samaritan's like, no, you got to stay here. You got to prove to these Jews that this is, that their way is the wrong way. And I'm not making these statements on, you know, political ideologies between uh, Jews and Palestinians. I got a lot of opinions and maybe one day we'll get to them. That's not the message for today. But what's happening here is Jesus is going, look, I am greater. I am above all and I am definitely greater than your tribe or your identity because my job wasn't to show up and make you happy my job was to show up and make you holy meaning set apart and so that means you have to choose jesus over whatever these things are jesus over your sexuality jesus over your your thoughts about marriage equality jesus over your political ideology jesus over your family Right, we have all these tribes, whatever we find our biggest identity, we all have them, we all have them. Boy, do we have them. I don't know what yours is. Mine, my tribe, my family, right? How do I keep them safe? How do I help them know they're loved? Right, that, that's at the highest level. And sometimes Jesus calls us to places that aren't safe. He calls us to places that aren't secure, and you'll see it in just a second. But my tribe, I go, Jesus, you came to make my tribe perfect, right? You came to... to so when you fit my goals for my family, I'll invite you in, Jesus. When you fit my goals for my sexuality, I'll invite you in, Jesus. When you fit my goals for my political ideology, I'll invite you in. But when Jesus' eyes are set on the mission, which is he wants the kingdom of God to enter you and go through you at the number one highest priority, and you go, that's, that's not really my mission. He wants you just to fix this thing. That's wants you to fix my marriage. And if you can fix my marriage, I'm in. You can't out because marriage is my idol, Jesus. I just want you to fix my, you know, my, 
bankruptcy. Could you get me out of my poor decisions, my finances, or the poor circumstances around me? Could you just fix that? Well, you're not going to fix that. Well, never mind, because what I was most interested in is you taking care of my debt, because you know why. My finances, my checking account, my savings account, that's really where my tribe is. That really is my identity, right? We have all these different things, and we hold these things with such value, right? Like even we say things like, everyone deserves love. You're right. But guess where the love starts? Not in my marriage, and it's unfair for me to say it, guys, because my wife and I have opposite genitalia, right? So it's really easy for me in my category to go, well, Jesus really loves this. No, Jesus loves marriage, but not as a first thing, as a second thing. You know what he really loves is our surrender to the kingdom, right? This is what's so crazy. I was talking to my kids yesterday because, you know, one of them asked, like, hey, dad, can we? And I'm like, no, we can't. And they said, well, don't you want us to be happy? And I said, no. I did. I'm like, look, look, happiness, hear me, is a byproduct. Happiness is a byproduct. It's not, the, it's not the chief end or the goal. And I said, you know what I want more than anything? I want you to experience Jesus in your life. So I'm preaching to my kids. They love it, right? Oh, God, I'm so happy they have a preacher for a dad. I want you to experience Jesus in his fullness. That's what I want. And they're like, well, isn't happiness then second? No, no. You know what second is? I want you to live like Jesus is living through you. I want you to bring the kingdom everywhere you go, which means you should be gracious and kind and merciful, quick to listen. That's what I want for you. Well, that is happy. Well, where's happiness? Now go. First and foremost, I want you to experience Jesus. Second, I want you to live like Jesus is living through you. And here's the really, really good news. As you do that, I promise you, kiddos, you're going to find joy and happiness. As you do good, Jesus living through you. That's where you experience great, right? And so as we think about all these things, it's going, look, the pen, not the penultimate, the ultimate goal in all this is that you would choose Jesus over all things. And so these guys, watch this, so, so sad, and I hope you grieve this. Verse 54. And when the disciples, I'm sorry, so, but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards him. And watch what happens in verse 54. And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, these are the ones who saw the transfiguration, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Right? And here's, here's what's really interesting is that some of you, when I talk about sexuality or political ideology, you're like, yeah, you show those people. Right? Like there's something that boils up in us if we think we do it right and they do it wrong, right? Like, here's what you got to understand, guys. Like, your objective and my objective is not behavior modification. That is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says you can't modify yourself enough, right? Our job as a church is not to help people clean up their act, get their act together, behave better, choose what we would declare as moral. That's all behavior modification. That is not the goal of the church. By the way, while we want to help put some parameters on our kids and help them see what's right and holy and declare it, that's not actually even your primary objective as a parent. Your primary objective as a parent is actually to show that you believe that there's a kingdom of God and the way that you access the kingdom of God is through this thing called faith. And it says faith comes from hearing the word of Christ, right? And so our number one objective is to experience and live the kingdom of God and model it for other people. Many of us are going, yeah, I got to share the sermon with someone because they have made that thing their ultimate thing, right? It's going, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. Our job is not to walk around on bullhorns telling people to get their act together and to behave, right? By the way, our job 
isn't to legislate morality. Our job is to actually go and live life as Jesus is living through us. That's how the kingdom advances. To go and hear it, then think about it, then start to proclaim it. Not repent, turn, or burn, but the kingdom of God is available to each and every one of us, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the choices we've made. We are all, as Romans said, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. So that puts all of us in the same category. There is Jesus who's perfect, and then there's the rest of us. We're all in the same category. So it gets really dangerous, dangerous going, well, we're closer to Jesus in this category than those people are. But you're still in the same category. These people are in your tribe, right? All humanity is in your tribe because we are all on this side. We're on side B. Jesus is on side A. And the only way by which you get to side A is through Jesus. Right? So some of us go, oh, yeah, we, that's what that should happen. But they should not feel that way. They should not make that their idol. It's like, look, their idol might just be a little bit more clear and outspoken. You know what your idol could be? Control, security, coveting. And coveting is an interesting one in the scriptures because no one knows. No one knows that you do it, right? No one knows that you're envious of your neighbor's grass, right? No one knows that you're envious of your neighbor's wife, right? No one knows that you're envious of that person's job, right? No one knows it. And yet, you are fully camped out with deep footings in the category as everyone else, right? And so our thing is thinking, ah, they deserve this. And, and James and John's response is, should we rain down fire from heaven? Should we call it, right? Like, They've had some neat experiences where they've seen God have his way through them where they could call out evil spirits and they could proclaim the kingdom of God. And so now they're walking with a little bit of swagger. Right? You know, what's interesting is they forgot just the day before they were trying to help this, this boy who's being absolutely oppressed and they could do nothing about it. But now they got their swagger back. Definitely James and John because they saw Jesus in the transfiguration. Hey, Jesus, you want us to rain down fire, right? This is it. Boy, I spent a lot of time on this. Unfortunately, this isn't where the message ended up going as I kept working through it. But there is a, there is a deep, toxic culture we live in. And we could talk all about it, but the reason it's so deeply rooted and toxic is because of, of our inability to forgive. Right? We want everybody else to feel the consequences of their sin. Right? We judge everybody else by their actions. But we, you and I, we want to be judged by our intentions. Right? So there's this, this absence of forgiveness. That's why when the Amish community, when the, the demonic man walks in with a gun and brings hell to earth, murders kids, and then takes his own life, when the Amish community wrapped their arms around that family, the family of the victimizer, not the family of the victims. That's why that's a national story, because it is so unheard of. I was living in Montana, and it was a big deal out there, right? It was closer to you guys, for sure, here at the time, but there's just an absence of that, and you see it, and James and John, they just want more punishment, right? Should we rain down fire and consume them? And I certainly hope that's not your heart. I hope that God breaks your heart for what breaks his, right? It's real easy to judge things like uh, gender identity stuff. Many of you think it's really, really strange, and doesn't make a lot of sense and it is a weird world and I just would offer to you could you imagine what it's like to look in the mirror and while your anatomy tells you you're a female but you look in the mirror and see that you're a male could you imagine the pain of that could you imagine the pain of being a parent no one goes oh I hope that's what happens in my life right 
could we have some empathy without our gotcha statements? The way that Andy Stanley says it is, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Could we just be filled with empathy and guard ourselves from, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them. That word rebuked, I told you over and over again, it just literally means to assign the value of it, which means those words that just came out of your mouth have zero value in the kingdom of God. That condemnation has zero value in the kingdom of God, right? Remember, remember, what do we do? We hear about it. What's it? The kingdom of God. What do we do? We think about it. What's it? The kingdom of God. What do we do? We speak about it. What is it? The kingdom of God. And he's going, that is not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is filled with grace and mercy and kindness and love because that's what heaven is going to look like. And we got to show people what heaven looks like and it's not condemnation and damnation we are all all sinners we've all fallen short of the glory of god and so jesus goes that has zero value in my kingdom because that is the opposite of my grace and my love and my patience and my long suffering so he rebukes them and here's the sad part and they went on to another village so I hope you feel some conviction about the condemnation we want others to feel. And I hope you feel some empathy about, can you imagine this? These guys, these folks had face-to-face with Jesus. Like face-to-face. Face-to-face with him. And they go, you're not Lord of the things I want you to be Lord of. We're not interested. And Jesus left them. Like these are folks who had access right there to the kingdom of God. They heard about it the same way you're here about hearing about it. And you go, no, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in comfort and security. Salvation that brings good finances to my home. Good reputation to me. And it says that they left. Now watch this. It's not just about your travel identity. As they were going along the road, so this is the big entourage, someone said to him, I will, it's verse 57, I will follow you wherever you go follow you everywhere right you had the emotional goosebumps we all get them and go ah that's it jesus i'm fully in on your kingdom i will follow you wherever you go and watch jesus's response and jesus said to them foxes have holes and birds have the air and birds of the air have a nest but the son of man this is every time he refers that that's his favorite title for himself which is so beautiful right the word son of man comes from the book of Daniel. We really see it where God is declaring that he will step into our timeline. Where I told you, Jesus invites him. He steps into our timeline to invite us into his eternal one, which begins now, not somewhere in the future, right? And so what Jesus declares all the time is he calls himself the son of man, which is so beautiful. I told you that there's category A that Jesus sits in all by himself as he's the only one good. And there's category B, which is all of us, right? That's our tribe. And so what does Jesus do? He calls himself the son of man to go, I've invited myself into your tribe, not to esteem you, but to save you, right? So he calls himself the Son of Man. He says, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he's saying to that person, oh, you say you'll follow me. But when, what happens when it gets in the way of your comfort? You see, we, this is what the goal we want for our kids. I actually want it for my kids, which is so dangerous. You want it for yours. You want to be happy, but the other thing you want to do is you'd like for them to be comfortable. 
And here's what we say when we say we want to be comfortable. We're just saying we don't have to depend on anyone or anybody or anything for our own security. And Jesus is going, here's what's so interesting. The kingdom of God with me slays a lot of times your comfort, particularly if it's your idol. So the guy goes, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he's like, even if you'll be homeless? Even if it means you'll have no extra food or no extra clothing? Even if it means every single moment of every single day you've got to depend on me? Like, really, really? You'll follow me anywhere and everywhere, right? And this is where it gets weird because it's not bad to have a savings account. It's not bad to want some comfort. in the way that St. Augustine, I went back and read it because it's so beautiful, writes about this. And he talks about what happens for humans is we disorder our love. And here's what he says. He says, we have made second things, first things. Let me just read to you what he says. It's so interesting. And it's a little bit heady, so I don't want to read it anyway. And he says, the chief good must be something which cannot be lost against the will. So he's going, here's the thing about second things. Second things can be lost. So you, want, you make a second thing, your family, your marriage, your security, your comfort. You've made that a second thing. But that second thing that you love, and you should love. You should love your family. But when you make it the first thing, like the thing for your salvation, here's the thing about that. That can't be your chief good. That can't be how you live in the kingdom because that can be lost. For no one can feel confident regarding a good which he knows can be taken from him, although he wishes to keep and cherish it. But if a man feels no confidence regarding the good which he enjoys, how can he be happy while in such fear of losing it? So he basically says, hey, look, here's the problem. You have made these second things first things, and as you've done it, you live in so much depression and anxiety, right? You've done it. You've watched your kids have so much fun, and you're looking at them, looking at them, enjoying it, and then you're thinking about this broken world, and you're thinking about what it's going to be like when they go to school or go to college, and all of a sudden this fear overtakes you. Why? Because the second thing has become a first thing, and you are worried that something could happen, and here's the bad news. Something could, and something does happen to our family, to our marriages, and our jobs. That doesn't mean we shouldn't love them. It just means we can't find all of our comfort there, because that's the second thing, not the first thing. And so if you want to gauge your anxiety and your hopelessness, I'm guessing what's happened is you have taken a second thing, food, clothing, savings accounts your home and made it a first thing and he's going you can't make a first thing out of something that you can lose and so jesus goes hey look here's the deal you want to follow me that's great but if you're following me for your comfort you're going to be really really disappointed because the kingdom of god is not about comfort the kingdom of god is not about you feeling comfort the kingdom of god is about you experiencing him forever and it starts now and you experiencing the joy of what it's like to lean fully in the I'm in and go no the kingdom of God is where I want to exist and that makes comfort a second thing not a first thing and here's what he says next to another he said this is the only invitation you see throughout the scriptures follow me but he the other one said Lord let me first go and bury let me first go and bury let me go first go and bury my father jesus said to him leave the dead to bury the dead bury their own dead but as for you as for you go and claim the kingdom of god you see it he goes okay let the dead bury the dead your job today is to go proclaim the kingdom of god and you're going what in the world like it's not bad to go to a funeral jews had funerals figured out in such a healthy way they grieved really really well and you're not telling this guy he can't grieve and so here's what's really interesting this is what scholars will tell you. I think it has the same point regardless. 
what probably is happening here, the reason that this guy is interacting with Jesus, it would imply that his dad's not dead yet, right? Because if his dad's dead in this culture, he would have been at the wake, the funeral, the grieving for a week, right? He would have been there. And so the fact that he's here and not there implies one of two things. Either he has no relationship with his dad or this is something he's thinking about for the future, right? So what's so interesting is Jesus is going, today you get to live in the kingdom of God. He goes, oh, I kind of want to, but not quite yet. Not quite yet. I'm not really, really interested in it yet. I mean, one day I will after my dad dies, but then after my dad dies, I'll get the inheritance. And then I won't really be worried about food or comfort or another one that he's going, security. Sorry about that. Security, right? I don't have to worry about that because dad's inheritance will be left for me. So Jesus, one day I'll follow you. Just not today. And Jesus is going, look, let the dead bury the dead. And here's what he's saying. Look, you're caught up in things that spiritually dead people can do. People that don't have the kingdom of God living in them. Anybody can dig a grave and put someone in it. But that's not what I've called you to do. I've called you to live in the kingdom of God. I've called you to hear about it and think about it and speak about it. So, yes, you want to follow me. That doesn't start tomorrow or next week. That starts today, and your job today is to go and proclaim. Speak about it, the kingdom of God. Here's what you got to hear, and you know this. You know this cognitively, right? Partial obedience and delayed obedience are just disobedience, right? Tell your kids to clean the room, and they go, I'll get to it tomorrow. And I go, oh, that's such a sweet kid. Look at him. He's already prioritizing tomorrow. No, you know that you're being disobedient. Or you go, hey, go clean your room. And what do they do? They go grab all their stuff and shove it underneath the bed, all underneath the bed, all underneath the bed. And then they make their bed and go, ha, look, it's clean. That's partial obedience, but it's not obedience. It's still disobedience. And what Jesus is going is, you want to follow me? That doesn't begin next week or next month or when you get your job or when you get married or when you finish school or when you have the third kid or when you buy the house. He's going, you really, really want to experience the kingdom of God. The way that it happens is today, not tomorrow. That's so interesting. That. What Jesus is always talking about is how we get to participate in it today, not someplace we get to later. So this guy interacts with Jesus and Jesus goes, you want in on it? You got to get on a nail. Like here, I'm going to keep walking. You start following. You got it? And this guy goes, well, I've got to go bury my dad yet. And he's like, your dad's in perfect health, bro. And then you see this. Yet another said, I'll follow you. Lord, but first, here, see it again, but first. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. But first, say farewell to those at my home. So Jesus, I'll follow you. But first, I've got to go back the other direction and go say bye. And watch what Jesus says. It's so profound and so logical and so reasonable. Watch what he says. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Here's what he's saying. See what's in front of us? That's the kingdom of God. You see, there's a place we got. We got work to do. And it, as you do good, you will experience great. Your happiness and your joys 100% contingent and connected to how you live in the kingdom of God. That's how, how it works. It's not from your comfort, your identity, or your security. Here's what he says. hey, hey. You know, just as an analogy. Look, when you're plowing a row, do you look this way as you're plowing the row that goes that way? He goes, no, right? You, you know this. You can't plow in a straight line if you're looking back as you're going forward. Here, here's an example. You could try it on your way home. Try to drive home looking backwards. 
I wouldn't actually recommend it. You might see Jesus a little sooner, but I wouldn't recommend it. Night. We know this. We know this. Like, Jesus is such a brilliant teacher. He goes, look, here's the deal. There is no way you can go that way while looking this way, right? So when you remember, remember how he started this? He set his eyes where? On Jerusalem. He knew where he was going, and he was looking that direction. Not looking back in Galilee, not thinking about all of his greatest hits, made the dead people live, blind people see, lame people walk. He goes, nope. He sets his eyes, and he is moving forward, and here's what you got to hear, and it is so glorious. And this is exactly why I'm feeling so much freedom and life in my life right now. This is the principle. This has everything to do with it, right? You have to choose Jesus over your past. You can't look back. You got to look forward. You see, here's one of the big broken parts. I mean, I love psychology. I've read everything I could, studied it a little bit. And during my master's degree, like really, really interested in it. And always love when, you know, psychology and the understanding of the mind kind of declares what Jesus has already declared in the scriptures. It's so beautiful. But what I really thought for a long time was that it was my job to figure out everything that's wrong with me and fix it. Right? And even go, or at least come up with a reason why it was wrong with me, right? So search my heart for all the things. I figure out, oh, that's because of my family of origin. Oh, that's because I felt abandoned. Or that's because I was alone. Or that's because that person did that or that, right? All this time and energy just digging every part of me is going, something's off, right? I'm not feeling the joy and happiness that should be in the kingdom of God. I'm not experiencing God. So there must be something wrong with me. So what is it, right? You, I kind of have this compulsive issue that if I get it like an ulcer in my mouth or a cankasaur, however you say that, I got to keep touching it. I don't know why. Like, I just got to keep touching it. Like, I keep putting my tongue in it, and I feel the pain. Like, what is wrong with me, right? There's just this compulsion. And for so long, I kept looking and going, okay, God, what else is it? And I was searching all the rocks, feeling all the rocks, feeling all the rocks. And someone last year, about this time, sent me a book. Now, I don't even know who. So if it's you, would you let me know? Because it's been so helpful. It's a book on deliverance, but not in, like, the weird, what you would think, and, like, you know, all the demon possession and all that kind of stuff, which there's stuff we got to sort through there. But it was on actually being delivered from those things. And, like, right through the middle of the book, the guy, Neil Lozado, he wrote, and he said, you got to stop all the introspection. And I'm going, what? No, that's how I live. I'm introspective because that's where, uh, you know, uh, emotional intelligence comes from. That's where awareness comes from. And, and I literally felt like the Lord was saying, this went in the book, that it says in the scriptures that you're supposed to ask God to search your heart. God, search my heart. He doesn't tell us to. Right? And I spent all this time and energy trying to dig through all the brokenness and repenting of another thing and coming up with another thing. And I just would find myself sitting in the pain of childhood or sitting in the pain of 20s, right? I was just living literally in the past. And I didn't know it at the time, but what I was really doing was continuing to grieve and do penance for the decisions I made in the past. And God was going, look, look, look. I will reveal to you what you need to repent of. Your job, Josh, set your sights on the kingdom and go and live in it. And I'm telling you, it's been a crazy last year, and it's been a crazy, even beginning of 2021, lots of pain and lots of complications. And yet, I'm feeling so much joy and hope. It has everything, everything to do with this. It has everything to do with grabbing the plow and going and living in the kingdom of God today and stop looking back at the past. So you just got to hear this. Jesus has no interest and you going back and dealing with all the stuff and wrestling through all the stuff, there's things you need to repent of. Repent. Ask for God's forgiveness. And then believe he actually offers it. And believe what the scriptures say, that that sin is as far as the east is from the west. Repent. God, I'm broken, I am a mess, and I am so sorry that I lived so much of my life without you as Lord. I'm so sorry I put my identity or my comfort, my security over you, but I'm not doing that anymore. 
And Jesus goes, done. Grab a plow. Done. Get to work. See this, like, he's literally going, this guy goes, well, I gotta go back, I gotta deal with my family, I gotta go do all that. No, 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 no. Your job is not to go relive your past. There is a present in front of you that will lead to a beautiful future. So your next right step, you gotta figure it out, you just gotta grab the plow and just take one step. And what's so interesting about this passage, guys, is we don't know what happens to any of these three folks. We have no idea. We don't know if the first guy goes, I don't need a pillow. Where are we going, Jesus? We don't know if the second guy goes, I'm all in. Yep, I'll write dad a letter. Or the third one goes, yep, write a letter. I'll get all the way in. We don't know. We don't know if they lean fully in or they stay fully out. But those are the only two options. Lean fully in or you're fully out. There is no hokey pokey in the kingdom of God. Lean fully in. Be all the way in. And what I love about this, and I'm not saying this is what Luke's intention was, but I think it's really helpful, is because we don't know what their story is, we can't really spend all of our time looking at their story. We get to put ourselves in the story and wonder what we do. Right? Hear me. Jesus is telling you to follow him. Today. 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 Not tomorrow. Not next week. Today. And for some of you, it's for the very first time. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open and answer and open in the door, meaning invite him in. Invite his kingdom into you. He said, I will enter and I will dine with you, meaning you will have communion with God now and for all eternity, meaning the kingdom of God and Jesus himself can come and invade your life. Yeah, I told you already that the way by which you enter the kingdom of God is through faith. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ, which is what we've just been reading about, right? And all you have to do are two things. You have to believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? Luke goes, I write all these things so you can have certainty that literally the God of the universe 2,000 years ago, we're still talking about it. We're still reading about it. We're still singing about it. Literally gave his life to get you from side B to side A. And so if you believe with your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus Lord, literally tell him, proclaim it. You've heard it. You get to think about it and now you get to do it. Just get to proclaim it. You get to tell him today, Jesus is Lord. So if you're in the room, up in the balcony, downstairs, out in the parking lot, or online today, today is the day you get to proclaim this, and it gets to become true for you. Now, many of you have already proclaimed it, and you just got to figure out where he wants you to take the plow and which direction you got, you're going. What is your Jerusalem? What is Jesus telling you to set your sight on? His spirit lives in you. You don't need me to tell you that, because I don't know. But it's not in your past not in your comfort it's not in your security it's not in your tribe or your your identity it's in jesus so what's going to happen is just for a minute i'm just gonna let you or 30 seconds even i'm just gonna let you pause and i double dog dare you to ask jesus what's my jerusalem what's my jerusalem jesus where do you want me to set my eyes is it my neighbor is it my workplace is it my finances i don't know so just for a second I challenge you to bow your heads and just sit. If that's weird for you, you can keep your eyes open. No, one, no one's judging you or keeping up with that. But just for a second, would you consider it? And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in, and I'm actually going to give you some words that you can proclaim. If for the very first time you think your Jerusalem is finally leaning in and calling Jesus, Lord, I'll help you with that, right? And we'll help you take that step. Unlike what we don't know about these three people, we can know what step we're taking today, and so I'll do that. So just a second, would you just pause and consider this? So Lord, would you hear our prayers now?
So the band's going to come up because we're going to sing a song together in just a second. And those words are so true that he is worth it all. He is before all. He's above all because he is worth it all. Before we sing that song and the band leads us in it, we get to speak that out. We get to declare who Jesus is in this kingdom and bring it to our own life. For some of you, really, the next right step is finally just telling him you believe he's worth it all. And I told you, a lot of us started with this assumption that maybe God is good, and he is. And the way that we know he's good is Jesus actually came and brought himself to this earth, paid the price for sin. He showed you your value, what someone is willing to pay for you, which is his own death. But it was okay that he died. Because he's the only one capable of coming back to life. And then bringing in that spirit and inviting us in. So for you, maybe for the first time, I just want to give you some words. That you can just talk to God real quick. And you can say in your head right now, you can say, hey Jesus, I've chosen whatever it is. Your identity, your comfort, your security, your reputation, your past. I've chosen those things over your kingdom. And then you can say, I'm sorry. No, you can call it what it is, missing the mark or sin. Jesus, I have sinned against the kingdom of God. I have not lived the way that you want me to, and I know that there's a better kingdom. You can tell him that. And you can say right now that, Jesus, I believe that you're God, and I believe that you were raised from the dead. And I believe, you can say it, this is so important. This is whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. So you can say right now, Jesus, you are Lord. But what you're saying in that statement is you're saying, you are boss. I will follow you wherever you call me to go. And call him Lord. And then, afterwards, you can just say, hey, Jesus, thanks for saving me. Now, what you don't know, and what you're about to experience over the next decade, two decades, three decades, is what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to come and lead you. Right? And it's going to be a brand new voice, and it's going to be hard to distinguish for a while, but the Holy Spirit's going to lead you, and you're going to walk in his kingdom now and for all eternity. And that's why God gave us a church. So as we sort through the Holy Spirit in our life, we get to do it together. So you can just say, God, thanks for saving me, and I want to hear from you what you continue to speak, and only he will. Now, I just would challenge him. Oh, boy, we'd like to celebrate that and start walking this journey with you. So if that's something you just did downstairs, up in the balcony, outside, online, would you... you just let us know. You can send a private con- message to the folks and the hosts uh, on, online, or you can write it in that Connect card you got, or can text us, 610-869-2140. You can just email me, Josh, at CLC Family. Would you just let us know, please, so we can celebrate it and help us all get our plows and move in the same direction, right? Get in this relationship together. And so, Jesus, for whatever you've done, with every next step, every eye set on the new Jerusalem that you have for us, God, would you would you allow us to walk that journey and experience your kingdom today? God, and as we sing this song, would you firm up our hearts and our beliefs that you really are before all and above all and, God, worth it all. So would you hear our praise now as we proclaim your kingdom everywhere we are? So would you hear this song, God? And would your heart be filled with joy as you fill our hearts with your joy? And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing together?
wise words for you today, except that I pray that each of us would look forward this week and not backwards, that we would find forgiveness and that we would find peace. And so I will do my best to look forward with you this week and I will rejoice in praising God with you again next Sunday. So have a great week. When I'm there in your glorious presence